Good afternoon, beautiful people. I'm keeping all my content free of charge so there's complete transparency so everyone can get the benefit of all the information. This is a completely independent podcast, but any monetary support is greatly appreciated. Click the support this podcast link at the end of the episode description for more details. Now back to the show. Good afternoon, beautiful people. Welcome to Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. I have a very special guest this afternoon joining us today. Margaret Kimberly is a co-founder, executive editor, and senior columnist for Black Agenda Report. She's also the author of Prejudential, Black America and the Presidents. We're going to talk about that today. She has agreed to do a one-hour interview with us. She contributes regularly to the columns LA Progressive, and she's contributed to the following anthologies in defense of Julian Assange, Capitalism on a Ventilator, the Impact of COVID-19 on China and the U.S., and Killing Trayvons, an Anthology of American Violence. She's a graduate of Williams College and resides in New York City. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm thrilled to have you because I feel like more and more that people are starting to think, at least in the ballpark to that thing, because I used to think that was a crazy person, but I realized that more and more Black people are awake than I realized before, and that's always good to see. And I'll sort of let the audience know what I mean by those comments later, and you will too as well. Um, it kind of goes into your book some. But we're going to talk a little bit about um, the way um, Black voters are sort of approaching things now and and historically how they've been manipulated over the times and how we sort of have the question, have times really changed a lot? as far as the psyche of Black people. And so that kind of goes into um, prejudicial. But I also want to talk about more contemporary stuff, um, starting about someone that I know that's very important to you or, or who was very important to you, Glenn Ford. Can you kind of tell the audience about Glenn Ford and how Black Agenda Report came to existence? Sure, Glenn uh, uh, passed away just, the, it was the first anniversary of his passing last uh, July 28th. Uh, he was, uh, we were co-founders of blackagendareport.com along with Bruce Dixon, who's also passed away. Uh, but he was, I would say he was the driving force behind it. Uh, I, I hope people, uh, your viewers, uh, take a look at uh, Black Agenda Report this week because we commemorate his, uh, the anniversary. Uh, of his passing, and he speaks for himself with the uh, introduction to uh, his book, which was published posthumously, The, the Black Agenda. And he explains how he came to be a journalist, his life story, interesting life story. He grew up partly in Jersey City, New Jersey, and partly in uh, uh, Augusta, Georgia. Um, and uh, um, I'm sorry, Columbus, Georgia. Oh dear, am I getting it wrong? George, oh, let's just You're say fine. Georgia. <laughs> so he grew up in the segregated, spent part of his childhood and youth in the segregated South during the uh, 50s and early 60s. Um, he was a uh, red diaper baby, that is to say, born to socialist uh, uh, parents. And, uh, but he was a, also, I, I like to use the retro term race man when talking about Glenn. Uh, black people were always in the forefront of his thought. And he, um, his father was a DJ in uh, Georgia. And um, uh, Glenn was on the air from the time he was a kid. And you could tell, you know, he had the voice, he had, he had everything. Uh, and uh, was Vietnam era vet. He was a Black Panther. So all of those mm -hmm. things um, combined to make him a very unique journalist and activist and uh, Marxist. And uh, you could see it uh, in his writings. And I, one of the things I hope people look at in Black Agenda Report this week, we have a uh, a, a segment of Glenn speaking at an event, a teach-in about Ukraine in 2014, shortly after the U.S.-backed coup. Mm -hmm. And it was like he had a crystal ball. I think we called it that Glenn Ford's Ukrainian crystal ball. <laughs> but that's what happens when your analysis is um, uh, so sharp. 
that he could explain why the US um, had uh, tried or is still trying to use Ukraine as a weapon against Russia, what that impact would be around the world. And, and it's as though he was speaking in 2022. That's how sharp his analysis was. 100%. And um, I know that some of my viewers, some may be more familiar than others to with uh, Black Agenda Report and Black Agenda Radio. Um, as far as you personally, what's sort of your backstory as far as how you got into politics, your political thought processes, have they changed over the years? How did that come about? Well, a lot of change. I, you know, I grew up as like most black people, a Democrat, like, you know, on the liberal quote unquote oh. side. <laughs> um, and, um, but being exposed to Glenn, I started writing, uh, we wrote for a site called Black Commentator. Uh, and uh, I wanted to submit something. I, I submitted, uh, yeah, it was like 2003 or something like that. And Glenn was very impressed. I was a new writer. And I like to tell that story because it tells you the importance of encouraging people to do new things, to do things they may not have done before. Uh, but for a variety of reasons, we decided to strike out on our own with Bruce Dixon and in 2006 started Black Agenda Report. Um, but my politics became more and more left as I exposed myself to, uh, to Glenn and to Bruce and to other people and organizations. And I finally came to understand uh, why this, you know, this hope for reform, which I think is what it amounts to, to be a Democrat, that mm -hmm. there can be some kind of reform that uh, a party can improve itself if it just gets better people or if, you know, we work <laughs> on the inside. No, none of that. It's not going to do. This is a crucial moment in history. And um, but the, the state's in crisis. Capitalism is in crisis. Yes, it is. Uh, the so-called democracies, bourgeois democracies are in crisis and everything they do uh, to try to change their situation makes things worse for them. And that's because the U.S. insists on being a hegemon. So instead of accepting that China is um, uh, the Chinese economy will surpass that of the US and working with China and living with it, they want to try to destroy China. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, instead of accepting that Russia is a sovereign state with a lot of resources and they want to run their own country as they wish. No, they have a coup in Ukraine and Biden comes into office and instigates what he hopes will be a little war, but the Russians call their bluff. It's all blown up in their faces. Ukraine is losing, oh, by yeah. the way. And they, um, uh, but the corporate media, um, are like State Department spokespeople, members of Congress, and it's bipartisan. All these uh, initiatives are bipartisan. So the progressives sound like, uh, when it comes to Ukraine, so that may as well be AOC sounds like Mitch McConnell. They don't no, say yeah. anything <laughs> differently about uh, the U.S. role in, uh, in Ukraine. So um, uh, having lived through these changes, having had the guidance of Glenn and other people I've been fortunate enough to meet, uh, I'm now uh, a lot, a lot more left wing, and I understand why reformism can't work. Um, we need uh, revolutionary changes here and around the world, which is a difficult thing to say. What does that mean? Um, uh, everybody's not ready for that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of propaganda. Uh, Americans are very much indoctrinated, and we're told that. Uh, the system we have is the best deal you can get. And so you shouldn't ask any questions, shouldn't complain. And what about the Republicans? And as far as Black people are concerned, um, as Glenn used to say, there's, we're in the trap of the duopoly, where um, uh, the organizing principle of the U.S. is white supremacy. So naturally, one party is the Black People's Party, one party is mm -hmm. the White People's Party. They switched places in the 60s. It was um, from uh, the Civil War uh, until well into the 20th century. The Democrats were the party of the segregated South. 
Uh, Republicans were the party of Lincoln. Uh, sometimes that would change, but uh, basically in the 1960s, there was a complete switch. Uh, the Southern strategy, which is the white people's strategy, to <laughs> Republicans. And um, the last Democrat to get a majority of the white vote was Lyndon Johnson in 1964. Uh, in a presidential election. And ever since then, uh, most white people have voted for Republicans and black people feel tied to the Democrat, Democrats. Trump's election did not help that any. Um, uh, he was this, you know, the, the ultimate nightmare, someone who was elected because he was openly racist, because mm -hmm. he so openly uh, asserted um, uh, what white people want for themselves. And so now this bad situation we always had in thinking we had no choice but to follow Democrats has only gotten stronger. So you can have somebody like Joe Biden who has been a right-wing Democrat his entire political life, who bragged about putting Black people in jail, just like Bill Clinton did. Of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, who's the one who was responsible, who took credit for shepherding the crime bill through the Senate in the 90s, uh, with the stories about corn pop and his, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember, someone leaked a video of his meeting with people called civil rights leaders. Um, oh, uh, yeah. At the, at the time of the transition, his rudeness is uh, uh, demeaning them um, was uh, was very clear where he stood. And what have we gotten with Joe Biden? And we were told it was so important to get rid of Trump. But what do we have with Biden? We have a uh, we had a stimulus bill uh, for a year. So for a year, people got extra unemployment. Uh, people with kids got a child tax credit. Uh, but the Build Back Better bill, which was supposed to build on that, <laughs> is dead. Yeah. Uh, and they blame certain uh, Democrats for it, when in reality, it's the entire system. And Americans' oligarchy will not stand for the people to get any help at all. So it's over. It's dead. And um, uh, and I touched on with uh, Ukraine. Now Biden, not not content to have had Ukraine blow up in his face, they're trying to start something with China and send Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan. And oh, yeah. <laughs> it's um, so. Is he better than Trump? I I don't know how they don't under, undo. Democrats never undo what Republicans do once they get into office. They allowed for decades. They allowed Republicans to take over these states. When Obama was president, Democrats lost about a thousand seats in Congress and across state legislatures. That determines how lines are drawn. That allows them to gerrymander. It, you know, it allows them to for Republicans to have the advantage. It means once Roe v. Wade is overturned, states after state after state can say abortion is now illegal. And that's partly the fault of the Democrats. They never mm -hmm. acted upon, they had the best chance when Obama was first president to enact legislation and codify Roe v. Wade. But he chose not to do it after saying he would. He got into office and said, it's not my highest priority. It wasn't <laughs> a low priority. It wasn't any priority for him. So um, we, this is, it's very difficult time, but people have to, and I think more people are, you're right about that, thinking outside of the box, so to speak, thinking outside of the uh, political system to see uh, that we're not doing well as a group, uh, that the nation isn't doing well. I mean, the minimum wage hasn't gone up for decades. Mm -hmm. um, homelessness going up. Um, the only people who get money are the military industrial complex, you know, $50 billion to Ukraine alone actually to Raytheon and Lockheed and McDonnell Douglas and whomever and whomever. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's where we are right now. And that's where following the Democrats has gotten us. I, I think a lot, there's a lot what you said that I, I obviously agree with a lot of what you said, but I kind of want to expand on a couple of points you made about um, this whole idea. I personally, I call them Republicans. I don't even make a distinction between them because my friends think I'm, making a joke of it but i'm serious that the two parties are basically collaborating together they've always done this and under this whole idea of a one it's really a one-party state but they use this duopoly mess to sort of weird these type of people versus these type of people when they're really they're all corporatists they're all super capitalists 
They all benefit off the military industrial complex, the police state expanding it. If anything, the Democrats make a, a better, they do a better job of hiding it. And so people can still smile when you have your LGBTQ flag in the background and you're still <laughs> doing the Republicans work for them. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't, I don't know why people see that as like, Kiko, are you really sure about that? How do you not see that? But it, they use these people like the Kristen Cinemas and the Joe Manchins almost as characters in a movie. And they're yeah, just playing yeah. the role that they have to play in order to stop whatever they need to stop when it's convenient. Well, they're, they're the, you know, the bad cops, you know, as you say in a movie, there's a good cop and a bad cop. They both do the same thing. One makes you feel more comfortable. It's like, I'm going to protect you from the bad cop over there. He's the guy who will, you know, hit you in the head with the billy club, but not me. So they, they play the bad cop role. Um, but uh, uh, we, we should not be fooled. I'm sure there are other Democrats who are relieved that somebody else plays that part and they get to pretend, oh, I'd help you out if it weren't for Mansion and Cinema. <laughs> um, but uh, none of them are helping us out. None of them step, uh, step up. None of them push back because they all, I mean, look at, look at how you get to be a senator. I mean, here in New York, uh, you have to raise a minimum of $30 million to run, to have a credible run as a United States Senator. Uh, actually, my, I think I'm behind. I think it's more than that now. I'm, I, I could be a couple decades behind, <laughs> but um, uh, it's a huge amount of money. And what does that tell you? It's like, who's going to have access? Are we going to have access or is it the people who, the super PACs and the people who bundle the checks? No, they're the ones who have access. So you'll see uh, the Republicans. So they will say, uh, so Trump will say he's not going to abide by a climate agreement. And everybody says, oh my God, this is so terrible. You have to have a Democrat in. So Biden joins the climate agreement, but what do they do? They're still drilling on public land, still drilling in the Arctic, um, still refusing to help the poorer nations of the global south, ones who are living with the worst impacts of climate change. So none of that uh, changes when you have a Democrat in office. And now with the failure of Roe v. Wade, uh, uh, and the Voting Rights Act. The Supreme Court eviscerated the Voting Rights Act. Democrats didn't do anything about that either. So these issues that are supposed to be these wedge issues that, you know, if you and, and let's talk about the Supreme Court. It's if anybody argued against the Democrats or said I can't support them. Then it was, well, what about the Supreme Court? You know, if you can't think of anything else to protect the, uh, the country, you've got to have Democrats in. Well, what do we get? Um, <laughs> you know, um, Obama messed up. He didn't push out, uh, what's her name? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm -hmm. he, he should have retired. They should have pushed her out. She was already 80, had already had cancer. He knew they were in danger of losing the Senate and that she should leave. Mm -hmm. But they left it alone. I think they thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. Uh, so he right. leaves mm -hmm. that alone. Then they don't do the, uh, the recess appointment with Merrick Garland. Uh, and then Hillary Clinton mess up, messes up and loses. So, um, so what's the point? I mean, at, at right now, it's like, well, all these things that you said, well, the Democrats will make abortion legal. No. Well, the Democrats are the ones to save and protect the federal judiciary. No. So what's the reason now? Mm -hmm. See, my whole thing would have been, and I had a question about a term that you use almost all the time, and I think my audience would be curious about it too. The, the whole thing about this pushing left, pushing right, is that my whole thing was that I knew I wasn't going to vote for either party. I haven't since 2008. Since Obama won, I voted for him. You know, I was duped. You know, I thought he would do something, didn't do anything, and that sort of got disillusioned ever since then. But my whole thing is like, as an outsider, quote unquote, if Trump won again, what would that do? Is that, would that make the Democrats go left? And so the whole, you can argue that against them. If, if he wins again, are you guys actually gonna do something? And I really don't think they would have done anything. Even if he would have won again, they still wouldn't have done anything. But even in spite of George Floyd and everything else that happened, you know, leading up to the presidency, but there's just always some sort of excuse, it seems. And they have all the tools behind them. They have all the media corporations behind them. Um, anyone with any sort of financial backing 
have their voice. They have their voice and their paycheck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, uh, you know, will Trump want to run again? I, you know, this focus on Trump <laughs> has got to stop. It's like I've never seen a former president in the news so much. And they use him to excuse their lack of action. It's always, look, Trump. So you don't ask us anything. Trump could be president against these January 6th hearings. Oh, my which I've, God. I've pretty much ignored. Uh, they're not going to touch him um, if if they... If they charge a sitting president, they've set a precedent and a future president can be charged with something and neither party wants that to happen. Uh, also, they don't want to uh, inspire his followers of whom there's still many millions of people. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think they're gonna touch Trump at all. It's all meant to keep us bamboozled and forget all the things that we just, uh, just talked about. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, no, they, they are what they are. And as the system, as the crisis deepens, they will get worse. They just move to the right more. So what does left and right mean? You know, politics in this country is uh, more and more conservative goes. I mean, the today's Democrats are like the old moderate Republicans of, of yesteryear. Yeah. Um, and uh, they and as you know, as we just talked about, they they don't even protect those issues that are most important to Democrats. So um, so no, they won't do anything differently. I, I you know, would Trump win again? Could he win again? I mean, he's a very divisive figure. I think his presence would. Uh, 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 increase the turnout for Democrats. So I, I don't think it's likely he would uh, win, um, although he barely won in the Electoral College. Uh, Hillary Clinton was so sure. Do you, I, and I just I like to remind people she thought he was easiest to beat. She didn't mm -hmm. take him seriously. The, the Pied Piper strategy, she wanted the press to elevate Trump because she thought he'd be the easiest to beat if he got the nomination. Uh, she didn't uh, replicate. Obama had a great get out the vote effort. She didn't bother. So 78,000 votes in three states um, uh, made the difference and kept her mm -hmm. from uh, being uh, president. So all that to say, I think um, uh, it's unlikely he could be elected again, but who knows? And even if he were, I, I would not be in a panic if Donald Trump were president. I mean, it doesn't bother me at all because we're already operating outside of this whole binary in the first place. It is, and a lot of that has to do with, you can tell where people are getting the information from. And it has a lot to do with, with the brainwashing you were, you were talking about. It's crazy, like Russia Today, I used to follow Russia Today all the time. And I follow all these different publications. And I'm saying to myself, so who determines that that's not a legitimate publication? So you're just going to take it down yep. as if we've never had conflict ideologically or kinetic with other countries before. And you're going to justify that by taking down an entire publication that's with U.S. journalists as well. It wasn't like it's just completely Russian journalists. I mean, a lot of those people, Chris Hedges and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's they uh, like, uh, the left uh, has been what the little bit of left narrative that was in the media has been uh, censored completely. Mm -hmm. And who's to, why can't you watch Russia today if you watch RT if you want to? Who's to decide that you can't? I mean, you have government. You know, how you look on Twitter and other countries, they'll say this is Chinese state-controlled media. This is Russian <laughs> yeah. state-controlled media. Well, our corporate media is state controlled. The British media is mm -hmm. state controlled. BBC, it should say British state controlled media because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And they work with big tech. So we see them go YouTube, go along with uh, uh, whatever the state wants. And uh, I don't know if you remember when Biden was running in 2020 and this scandal broke out with his dumb son. Who was oh, gosh. Yeah. Drug addict and lost <laughs> his laptop. Twitter would not allow and Facebook would mm -hmm. not allow you to link to any stories yeah. about Hunter Biden. And it was, it was like, well, why can't people read about Hunter Biden? Let them mm -hmm. decide for themselves. Who? And by the way, he never denied that the laptop was his and the emails were real. Um, but uh, but we see how they work together. So it's totalitarianism. We talk about authoritarian governments. Well, you know, it looks to me that that's how we're living right now. Too. That's exactly what's going on. Speaking of the media you were just talking about, it concerned me something, not what the, my friend posted. There's been about 20 of my friends over this summer. They keep sharing this graphic 
It's called the media bias chart. And the company mm-hmm. is called Ad Fontes Media. I actually reached out and talked to a couple of those people myself. I was concerned when I saw the graphic and Black Agenda Report was actually on it. Oh, really? Send it to me. <laughs> I will. I actually copied it to my computer so I can send it to you later. The gray zone, like a lot of the people I follow are on there. And it's crazy. They have CNN and all these like fake news outlets. They're all up at the top, which is supposed to be the higher you up, it's supposed to be the more legitimate, the more mm-hmm. um, factual and analysis and not opinionated. And I'm saying to myself, you have Black Agenda Report at the very bottom. They had you viewed as, I have it here, they consider you selective, incomplete, unfair, persuasive, and, and full of propaganda. Basically, they had you in that column on the very bottom in the far left. And I'm saying to myself, that should kill the legitimacy, but, but no one sees it because you're, they're already operating within the corporate news narrative. So, of course, the one Black left outlet, you're going to try to make it seem like it's completely propaganda. Well, you know, the New York Times is propaganda. I mean, they have <laughs> uh, the Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC. They say whatever the state tells them to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you know, ally themselves with one wing of the ruling class, the Democratic Party wing of the ruling class. But it's all the ruling class. And um, their goal is to silence anybody else. They don't want another narrative Mm-hmm. excuse me, to be heard on a whole plethora of, uh, of issues. And, uh, you know, they, we see people under attack, people who are kicked off of social media, who are just banned from YouTube or, or, or Twitter, uh, because they, the whole foundation is shaky. If even a handful of people are able to communicate freely with, uh, with the public. And uh, this is this is where we are living right now. Uh, this is authoritarianism that we're always told applies to some other country. I I, I saw recently someone said uh, a friend of mine that uh, authoritarian countries are the ones that won't do what the U.S. tells them to do. <laughs> and that's all. It, that's all it means, you know. And the others are just U.S. vassal states. Mm-hmm. But um, but we have to defend our rights to express ourselves, defend um, people who are targeted by the state, defend Julian Assange, defend the, I don't know if you're following the story, the mm-hmm. African People's Socialist Party, the FBI raids last week. Uh-huh, yeah, I was following um, that, yeah. Yeah, claims of uh, Russian influence, and they're just Black people who uh, say they can speak to whomever they want and um, can espouse whatever beliefs they want. Uh, so they indict a, a man in, in Russia uh, who will never be touched. I mean, the whole thing is a farce. The, the goal is to impugn uh, people and organizations here. Mm-hmm. So you indict somebody you can't touch and claim that they're you know, practicing Russian uh, influence. And it even extends to the Black political class that we talk about on Black Agenda Report. There's a bill in Congress now, the Russian Malign Influence in Africa Act. And Unbelievable. Um, sponsored by uh, one, a Congressional Black Caucus member, Gregory Meeks, who's chair of the House Foreign Relations Committee, to, which says that the government should report on uh, Russia's influence in Africa and around the African diaspora. Mm-hmm. And to what end? Why? Um, African nations are independent and sovereign. They can talk to whomever they want. Individuals can talk to whomever they want. But um, this goes back to Russiagate. And the point of pushing Mm -hmm. that was to silence people about imperialism, about austerity. Uh, And that's what we're talking about, the austerity that says there's not going to be any Build Back Better. No, you don't get the child tax credit again. No, we're not raising the minimum wage. Uh, All of these things work together um, against the people. A hundred percent. I think you sort of alluded to it um, just based on what you've said, but I want my audience to sort of get a clarification as far as what you mean um, when you say Black misleadership class, because I was reading um, the latest op-ed, Glenn Force Irreplaceable Journalism that you wrote, mm-hmm. and you've used it in pretty much all the interviews I've ever followed you with, and you've always used the term Black misleadership class. Did you coin that term? What is that 
point, where does that come from? And what exactly does that mean? Well, that's a black agenda report term. I can't remember, oh. <laughs> I can't remember if Glenn or Bruce, I, I wish I could credit. Uh, sometimes we say the black political class, but these are the people who were set up as a buffer class uh, uh, in the days of the liberation movement as that was being destroyed. One of the ways in which it was destroyed sometimes with brute force as in COINTELPRO and making people political prisoners, but there's a soft power arm too, uh, co-optation, uh, uh, allowing some black people to enter the system to some degree, people who are elected to public office, funding institutions. Uh, and these are people who are given prominence because they're not going to do precisely because they're not going to do anything for black people. So they're figureheads, they're professional figureheads. I guess that's the best way to sum it up. Mm -hmm. And that definitely applies to the Congressional Black Caucus. There was a time and before the influence of money uh, played such a big role in politics that they were called the conscience of the Congress and the most progressives. Now progressive doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. uh, the the so-called progressives say, they're, you know, and a Republican's in, they'll, is in office. Uh, so Trump, they'll go through the motions and say, we're going to raise the minimum wage. We'll do this. We'll do that. Biden comes in. And what do they do? They tweet. They go on Twitter and say, what would it mean to you and your family to have uh, 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 affordable health care? And they know that people want Medicare for all. They know mm -hmm. that's what people want. That's why they say these things. Um, and uh, but they have no intention of doing it. It's meant to keep you to keep you from looking outside of the duopoly for looking um, uh, to uh, another formation for answers for questioning the system and the way they work within it. So the black political class, they do what they do. They, um, you know, they take I, I just talked about the, uh, the money that you need to uh, uh, win public office. For example, Congressman James Clyburn of South Carolina, oh, wow. who is, you know, this this phony uh, kingmaker. It's like, it's such a joke. He, he picked <laughs> Biden because they all picked Biden. It was like, so he Joe knows us. Joe Biden knows us. <laughs> he, Come he on. Is, uh, but he gets Clyburn gets more money from Big Pharma mm -hmm. than any other member of Congress. Uh, yes, and that does. that one little factoid tells you all you need to know uh, about the black political class that they will never you can't take money from Big Pharma and support uh, Medicare for all. So that Conflict is just, of interest. Of course, of course, you can't, you know, bite the hand that feeds you. So, um, so that's uh, that's where we are with the black uh, political class. They they don't represent us. They represent other interests and their figureheads, uh, giving people the impression that they are being. None of us are represented by people in Congress. None of us. They don't. What. Look what they've done. Nobody says all this money going for Ukraine and there are like a handful of no votes. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of them say yes, 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 yes. And it's how many billion, $50 billion? Now I can't keep track of, of what it is. Um, it's, it's this unanimity of opinion. There used to be a few people who would push back, who would question, who would go through the motions of saying something, but that's, <laughs> that's a long time ago now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We could talk about a lot of the stuff we're doing here a lot longer, but I did want to talk about prejudicial some. I, I'll have to tell you, I'll give you a testimony myself just after I read it because I am a professor, I'm an educator. And so I guess my opinion matters a little bit. This book, the readability of the book is what stood out to me. This book should be requ required reading from middle school up into higher education. I'm not even lying. Like the book should be <laughs> just you. because it's, it's easy to read. Mm -hmm. It's straight to the point. There's no beating around the bush. And I like those sections where you have maybe after five president descriptions, you have sort of like these bullet points and dates and important moments of history. 
what inspired you to write this book, Prejudential, Black American Presidents? Uh, it was a suggestion from a friend and supporter of Black Agenda Report. I had written a column about Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, there had been a public television documentary about the Roosevelt family and how wonderful Teddy Roosevelt was. And he was so brilliant and blah, blah, blah. So I wrote this column about how horrible he was <laughs> uh, to Black people, how he, for example, um, he court-martialed a group of black soldiers who had been accused of murder. He waited till after election day. And in those days, black people voted for Republicans. So he waited till after election day and then court-martialed all of them. Uh, and that's just an example of, uh, and he was an open white supremacist and uh, uh, talked about how white women needed to have a lot of babies. I mean, seriously, uh, mm -hmm. all those things. Anyway, so after writing this column, I was encouraged to write a book. Um, and I said, yes. And it was, it's very funny because I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I'd never written a book before, but that the important thing about that is uh, uh, sometimes we can do things we don't think we can do. And it goes back to being encouraged to stretch and, and do different things. But uh, yeah, the book is, it's now two years old, which for a book is old, uh, <laughs> but I think it stands the test of time. And um, I, you know, I'm not a scholar, I'm not an academic, so the only way I can write is uh, in a way that uh, people can easily uh, understand and relate to. Someone said to me, the best compliment I got was that it was, that it was a brisk read. And uh, I like that description. That's what I wanted to, mm -hmm. it's about 200 pages long. It's uh, not too long. Um, but it's a lot of work writing a book, you know, the, uh, you know, I can prove everything I, I say, you, mm -hmm. you know, you have to have sources to back up uh, 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 your contention. But the, you know, the, the point of the book is that uh, America foundationally is anti-Black and it starts from the very beginning. I start with George Washington. He and his wife, Martha, own 200 people. Mm -hmm. They, um, and, and, you know, there's something that, there's so many things that we're not taught or things that we're just lied to about it. So why would you build a new city to have a capital? Why would you need a new city? Washington DC was, uh, Thomas Jefferson built it. Uh, new York was the first capital where Washington was inaugurated. Then it moved further south to Philadelphia, then mm -hmm. further south to a new city between Maryland and Virginia. Conveniently. Yes, of course. But for example, Washington had a problem uh, when the capital was in Philadelphia, uh, there was a law in Pennsylvania, any uh, enslaved person in the state for more than six months could sue for their freedom. This was a problem for a big slaveholder. Mm -hmm. So he rotated people, the, the uh, people he held to make sure none of them stayed in Philadelphia for six months. Um, uh, one young lady managed to escape from them and they did everything they could to try to get her back. One person mm -hmm. out of uh, more than 200. So um, uh, that is, so, so anyway, so yes, you need a capital city that is firmly in the region that is most dependent on the slaveocracy system. Uh, and yes, there was slavery in the North, but um, it, the South was more dependent on the plantation economy. Mm -hmm. So you build a new city. And, but nobody ever tells you why they built a new city. They already had cities. Why would you need a new one? Um, uh, so um, we see from the beginning, uh, you know, Washington held slaves, literally took the teeth out of their mouths to put in his dentures. Mm -hmm. um, the, um, and I want to say this about uh, uh, independence, the, you know, July 4th, the Declaration of Independence, they declared the biggest reasons they wanted to be independent from Britain, they wanted, they were always afraid the British would end slavery, would end the slave trade. And they wanted to keep spreading across the continent. They wanted to snatch up uh, enough, more and more and more indigenous land and get the whole continent. And um, the British had made treaties with the French, which made that impractical. They had treaties with some of the indigenous nations. The, the French and Indian War is what we were taught in school, was seven years war. It's, it's, it's complicated, but mm -hmm. uh, Britain, told the colonists who were all on the east coast of the United States they could not settle past the Appalachian Mountains because that created problems for them. They didn't want to hear that. 
They've of wanted it not. all. So Thomas Jefferson, Lewis and Clark exploring the West. They wanted to explore the whole thing so they could snatch it all. Mm -hmm. uh, the Louisiana Purchase, which ironically came about because of the Haitian Revolution. And mm -hmm. France needed money and sold those territories. But what was that for? An irony of history. They also spread the uh, territory where uh, slavery could spread across the country. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's, you know, those are some of the beginnings of the country. Abraham Lincoln was not the great emancipator. He never gave up his dream of getting Black people out of the country. He was pushed to make this, to say the Civil War was about slavery because enslaved people pushed the issue by every time they could escape to Union lines, they did so. Uh, so he had to. It was uh, Black people pressured him into doing that, but he never gave up wanting to send Black people out of the country. In fact, there was a short-lived colony in Haiti. Mm -hmm. um, he always had these, um, these plans. And so after emancipation, you see uh, Black people, it's an old story, right, clinging to the Republican Party. Uh, Frederick Douglass famously said, um, uh, the Republicans, ah, I'm messing this up. All else is the sea. The, they are the ship and all else is the sea. Something along uh -huh. the lines. But yeah. if we act, we behave that way now, except now it's the, the Democrats. Other way around. And um, there was always this disappointment. Um, white people lost their interest in protecting Black people. Uh, so we had Reconstruction and um, the rise of um, uh, the reaction uh, against emancipation. And then there's, you know, on and on and on, Plessy versus Ferguson, Republican after Republican, uh, hopes that they would do right by Black people. Then sometimes you uh, elect a Democrat, FDR, who did nothing, who hated to be associated with Black people. Mm -hmm. Eleanor Roosevelt would, you know, have tea with Mary McLeod Bethune, but that's all it amounted to. So that's our struggle. We are the ones who struggled when we have um, uh, won victories, it's, they're our victories. They're the victories of the masses of people and not this or that president who was quote unquote good for black people. And the 1960s, everybody fetishizes what you know is usually called the civil rights movement, but that's because of mass struggle. Black people in the South, the ones who couldn't vote ended up getting the vote for everybody. Of course, now we've lost it thanks to the Democratic Party and their lack of interest, frankly, in protecting our rights. But that is the most important thing to remember. And um, I, you know, in the days when um, uh, when Bill Clinton was elected, I was still a Democrat. I was happy to, you know, that he won. I'm so embarrassed that I felt that way. Me right too. <laughs> I mean, he, you know, from the beginning, he had this photo op with black men in, in prison and uh, the crime bill and all of these horrible things that uh, he and Hillary Clinton, his partner in crime, did to black people. Barack Obama, who won because he assured white people that black people weren't going to have a voice, that he was, I'm the president of all the people, the rising tide lifts all boats. He made it clear mm -hmm. he was not going to give us any sort of consideration. Excuse me. And uh, but the racism of many white people uh, maintained support for him because, you know, there'd always be some Yahoo congressman calling him a liar or, you know or rush limbaugh or somebody like that <laughs> uh, but he you know he worked for the oligarchy too that's what these people do they're errand boys and girls for the people who really run uh the country i got censored basically for saying that kamala harris and barack obama are that's what blackface is now you don't even need a white person to use <laughs> it you just put a dark skinned person's face on it and I'm like that. I'm very upfront and transparent. But to me, it has that function of blackface where you're doing the work. You're doing the dirty work for the ruling class. And how is that translating down to everyday black people, everyday people in general, everyday working people, these people's um, superficial representation, the way it's used is superficially. How does that help us at all when it comes to 
the day-to-day struggles. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't at all. Well, they, they're part of our problem. Kamala Harris made a name for herself by sending black people to jail. She was a prosecutor and she's not even smart. Have you watched <laughs> any of these visitors? It's, she cannot talk off the cuff. It's very odd for a politician. It's something most politicians do with ease. She cannot speak off the cuff. Every time she's unscripted, she sounds like an idiot. Goes off the rails. Oh, my God. It's terrible. You remember Dan Quayle, who was uh, (laughs) Bush the Elder's uh, vice, yes, vice president. Everybody talked about how dumb he was. Well, she's Dan Quayle in a dress, as far as I'm concerned. uh, she is uh, so in over her head. It's it's kind of uh, uh, odd. I mean, I know her politics are not ours, but she seems to not even be a competent person. And by and talk about not competent, Biden. Oh my God, Jim is- Crow Joe. Jim Crow Joe, who is not well, and I'm not referring to his recent uh, COVID uh, mm-hmm. positive test. I'm talking about his mental state. He has dementia, and it's I I generally think lay people shouldn't make these statements but it's so obvious Mm -hmm. that he's not well and um so we're in trouble and even if he didn't survive office we'd be even worse off with Kamala Harris I I am convinced (laughs) I'm 100% sure of that too because they um they will use the symbolism, like I was talking about the symbolism, they would use as a way to get undercover stuff done like there's even more nefarious as we could ever think about. I mean, the, the Democrats do very nefarious things. Don't be fooled by the, 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 oh, they have a third Black people in this chamber and this, the Congressional Black Caucus. That means absolutely nothing at all to most people. That's what they tell you on TV that's important. But representation can be over abused too. And, and that's not the type of representation I want. I want fairness in other <laughs> ways, not the, the whole visual effect. This You want substance. Mm-hmm. substance exactly all the things they say they won't do um you know people uh, you know the and and the thing that i one of the, so many things i don't like about biden he lied so much because they know what people want they know people want student loan debt debt relief mm-hmm. and he promised some form of it he said he would raise the minimum wage um uh all of these things that um uh, people need, they just lied about. They knew they weren't going to do it. This stimulus bill where this COVID money went everywhere. They're building prisons with COVID money. Mm-hmm. And now what's his big campaign thing? What does he talk about all the time? Police. $30 billion for police, which is, it's just a racist dog whistle. That's all it is. Uh, that's the last thing we need are more police, but it's a message to white people uh, or an attempted method meth- message to white people but he's messed up so much nobody really likes him only the mm-hmm. you know democratic party dead enders will um uh, I, I fully expect the democrats to lose in the midterm election in uh, november but this will be after joe biden gives cops 30 billion dollars two years after these protests where people were demanding the change to policing all he talks about is giving money to cops mm-hmm this is well, not something good for black people. That's that's all I can say. Well, like I was telling people, I have I have some Trump associates and I told them I'll be straight up with you. If I had to choose between the two with the gun to my head, I choose Trump only because Biden has done way worse legislatively. People he wrote the crime bill. People are like sitting here in their dream state. And we will talk about presidential after this because I really don't like talking about the guy. But I want the audience to at least get to know how evil this guy is mm-hmm. he started the crime bill in 1981 all this stuff is on congress.gov he started drafting the crime bill in 1981 13 years before it actually went into to effect and that 94 crime bill increased 100,000 cops that's what it did immediately on the streets 100,000 more police and just you know kept the mass incarceration going and going just exponentially Mm-hmm. And he's always been, if, if you're a Trump person, and I'm saying to myself, if you're all about the Republicans, you should love Joe Biden. He does everything that you want him to do. <laughs> yes. Like, I don't know why they seem like, I'm like, he does everything you want him to do. And he, you should be his friend. Sure, sure he does. He's, but that's, you know, been his whole, as you point out, his whole 
political career. Uh, aside from, you know, what did Trump do? He just stirred up uh, the racist id of the country and put it up front. Mm -hmm. um, but it's always there. We don't get not racist presidents. We mm -hmm. don't. Uh, we get people who their narrative is different one from another. Um, and and that's that's it. That's all we get. Uh, we got one year of stimulus uh, money, and then it was over. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what we got from by and foreign policy. He is worse than Trump. Mm -hmm. Trump wasn't I never felt like, you know, we were at the verge of World War Three with Trump. It's, you know, well, as I said, they mess up Ukraine and then say, OK, let's try to start something with China. Um, and uh, uh, it, it's it's really and the New York Times recently wrote about that how Biden has continued Trump foreign policy and I said I predicted that before <laughs> uh, before he was inaugurated. It wasn't so hard was, to see. <laughs> no, New York Times has just caught up with me. So um, you know that's that's what we have and I I think people need to have some courage and not be afraid to just start with the question. It's like, is that all? Is this all there is? Is this really the best we can get? Mm. Uh, is there nothing else we can have? Do we just have to accept any crumbs? Uh, Democrat? I don't even think they give crumbs anymore. Um, <laughs> and and so the crumbs. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I want people to be brave because this is a time we're going to need to be because these people live in a fantasy, a sick fantasy where the U.S. can just get its way all over. And look what they've done with Ukraine. Their effort to sanction Russia has damaged the economy of the entire world, mm -hmm. the entire world. People pay more for fuel all over the world. Uh, U.S. allies like Germany have done themselves in because they won't free themselves from the United States. They depend on Russian natural gas and uh -huh. now they're rationing energy. I mean, look at what they have done. Uh, but that's because the system is in crisis. They don't know any other way to be. They don't want to be any. They want the U.S. to control everything. So even mm -hmm. though everything they do brings China and Russia closer together, um, guides other countries to look towards this, this new axis, they still think that they can get their way. And that is very, very dangerous. It, I think it's interesting just the perception of um, places. I follow a lot of my African friends and people in Africa, especially the sub-Saharan Africans that I know, they have very different views about Russia. Like their narrative, the narrative that's here, they say that Russia's never invaded us. Like yeah, they well, haven't. Well, <laughs> Russia's, not, Russia's never sanctioned the continent of Africa. So they use all these points to make. And and the NATO people who use the NATO talking points, you like to basically pretend like it's still the Soviet Union. It's they're still operating like it's in the 80s. Still. Yeah, well, they you know that, uh, you know, of course they would do that. But who uh, um, destroyed the nation of Libya? Barack yeah. Obama and Hillary Clinton, an ongoing mm -hmm. humanitarian yeah. crisis. Uh, AFRICOM, the U.S. Africa Command, um, controlling the militaries of African countries. And they're right. Who carved up Africa? Europeans, British and French, mm -hmm. and Germans, uh, and Portuguese, all um, uh, caused this havoc that Africans are still living with. Uh, the chairman of the African Union a couple months ago went to Russia to meet with Putin. Why? Because the sanctions against Russia, like kicking Russia out of the SWIFT system, made it hard for African countries to pay for the grain and pay mm -hmm. for the fertilizer that they get from Russia. Uh, so they are hurt by these efforts. So Africans, you know, this... Um, um, uh, you know, this uh, claims that China is a malign influence in Africa and Russia is a malign influence. All that, all that means is they can't get in there. Right. They want to make sure <laughs> nobody else gets there. That's all it means. And people in these other countries know what's good for themselves and they can decide what they want and they should be able to do so without any uh, interference. Yeah, I think the brainwashing is so deep in this country and it's just, I just sit back and almost just get my popcorn out and just let them talk because <laughs> it's it's amazing. Like, do you realize that you're copying what the mainstream media is saying? Like, you're telling me, I, you don't even have to read a newspaper anymore. Just go outside and your neighbor screams you all the fake news that's out there right now, it seems like. Because they just, they get so absorbed by it. 
Sure. And it's, you know, most people depend on corporate media. They aren't aware of these things, that many of these things that we have uh, uh, been discussing. Um, and people are, you know, talk about Russian propaganda or influence. We're the most propagandized country in the world. I am mm -hmm. convinced. A hundred percent. And it's in it's the countries of the so-called West that are uh, Britain sanctioned an independent journalist, took his assets, took his house recently. Germany's threatening a reporter with jail time because she has a different narrative about Ukraine. Uh, this is um, mm -hmm. this is everything that it's projection, basically everything they say about uh, someone else is really about them. So when they mm -hmm. talk about authoritarianism or censorship or, you know, this or that, it's uh, they're really talking about themselves. And as the crisis deepens, this is going to be more and more common because they a uh, hegemon can't not be a hegemon. Mm -hmm. So they can't change course. They can't reform themselves. That's the only existence they know about. And so they take a chance on uh, invading Iraq. Uh, on mm. um, um, a coup in Ukraine or a war in Ukraine or starting something with China. As far as they are concerned, that's the only world that exists. And um, if they can't be a hegemon, then the whole thing has to be destroyed. They're willing to do that. I, um, I want to make a comment about, I was talking to my son last week and I actually had him reading parts of Prejudential. And the part that astonished me in the year 1900, I think the life expectancy for black people was 33 years old and 48 for whites. It just really stood, stood with me and it, it resonated with my son. And it's just, he sort of scratched his head for a second and it just made him, cause he came in with a whole different thought process. I think he said 65 or something, you know, because a kid's going to think, you know, 65 years old, you know, a person's going to live. Well, I mean, we still have a lower life expectancy than white people. We are overrepresented in every negative measure uh, and underrepresented in any positive measure. Uh, income, inherited wealth, likelihood of going to jail, mm -hmm. uh, homelessness. homelessness. Half of, we're like 14 or 15 percent of the population, like half of the homeless people yep. in the country are black. Um, how we're treated if we go for healthcare. We're still treated bad when we go to uh, to doctors or have to end up in the hospital. Um, uh, all of these are um, are uh, these these dynamics are still seen, still quite visible, and we're still victims of racism all the time. I you know they'll write these articles like uh, you know why do black people make so much money and they're scratching their heads and I'm like mm. I don't know maybe racism maybe people mm -hmm. are discriminated against you ever think of that. But, um, you know, that doesn't uh, uh, work for the narrative, but we have to see the continuum and ask ourselves how we can change. It has to be very radical change. All we'll get is more of the same. I mean, look at how people are living. I was reading mm -hmm. recently that uh, young adults are more likely to live with their families now. And I'm like, well, of course, gig work, you can't, it's not, a, if you don't have a living wage job, and they'll say, oh, young people aren't buying cars. I'm like, how can you buy a car um, on a, on a uh, insecure small salary? Mm -hmm. So uh, I feel like uh, younger people um, really have gotten a raw deal. You know, people my age actually got the better, oh, yeah. got the better <laughs> deal, you know, um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, that is, um, it's something to be aware of and to, um, accept the need for radical change. Nothing is going to improve with the same old, same old, uh, it'll just be a continuing downward trend. We're close with the viewer question. And it's a question that I sort of had as well. Is there any hope in the future the near future that is for a third party presence that also diverges with black um, centered issues like reparations and oh, this, uh, this web gap. Do, do you see that marriage ever happening? Uh, well, that's an old argument about a black independent uh, political party, which is like 
an, an old idea. There was a, mm-hmm. a convention in Gary, Indiana, 50, it was the 50th anniversary, I believe, this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I really think, I, I, I really think it's, it's, I don't think it's realistic to uh, expect a political party that is just oriented towards black people. I know this, we've got to get rid of this duopoly. I know that. Absolutely. And um, uh, a black political party has to be radical. I'll put it that way. It has to be radical. It can't stop with just black faces in high places. It can't be just about reparations. Um, Mm -hmm. We need socialism. I just to to sum up, that's what we need. We Mm -hmm. need um, uh, where we live under billionaire rule. We don't have democracy. We need real democracy. Uh, And the country becomes less and less democratic as as time goes on. So we've got to push radical politics, radical solutions and mass action. I would say those are the things that we need and we have to get rid of this duopoly. Um, You know, trying to change it from within, change it from inside. They don't want to change. So that's, uh, you know, the people selling that are just trying to put you back to sleep. Well, I think that's an appropriate closing. Margaret, is there anything else you want to tell my audience? How can they reach you on social media, um, the easiest place? Sure. So read blackagendareport.com every week. We have a new issue every Wednesday. Um, I'm on Twitter. Freedom Ride Blog is my Twitter handle. You can buy my book, Prejudential. You can get it from Amazon. I'd prefer you buy it straight from the publisher, Steerforth Press. That's steerforth.com. And uh, so, so yeah, those are the best uh, places to uh, see what, uh, what I read what I write and, and uh, talk about. Awesome. She has tons of columns that come out, trust me. So make sure you're following, following Margaret Kimberly. And I'm going to link your book as well to that publisher that you mentioned, because Thank I you. don't like using Amazon as well. I'll link it to all my episode descriptions. Thank but you. Thank you. Thank you. Much. Thank you so much for joining us.